please pray with me? O God of the morning and of the evening, let your Holy Spirit come upon us who have gathered here out of love for you, and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, here we are still in Timothy. I'm going to lift up the letters of Paul to Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. I really commend you to to read all of both letters. Uh, That can be done in about a 15-minute sit-down because I think there's a lot there. And, And there is so much there that is so good. And yet we bump up against this passage today. And I'm in this sermon series called Freedom Summer, and Freedom Summer was a time in the United States where some young people tried to change the world by coming to the South and standing for voters' rights for African-American people. And many suffered, and some died. And it's worth us revisiting some of these ancient scriptures that have been torqued to to make it palatable for people to do things that they shouldn't ought to be doing, that have, uh, mis- in my opinion, misinterpreted scripture to uh, meet the will of people rather than the will of God. And so, and, and that we should talk about the freedom that the scriptures give us, that they give us freedom to find out who we are and whose we are and how we are to live and love God and love people and love God's creation. I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to watch the movie The Amistad. It is the story of a group of people taken into slavery in Sierra Leone and who were ferried across the Atlantic. And as they came close to the Caribbean, those who had been taken and enslaved uh, had an uprising and they took uh, control of the ship they were on and the people who were who owned the ship uh, tricked them, and instead of taking them back to Africa, which is what they requested, the, the ship kept go, turning north at night and finally wound up up near Massachusetts and Connecticut. And the, the people on board that ship were taken into, into custody when finally it, the ship was overtaken. There is a part of the movie that shows Uh, what was called the Middle Passage. And the Middle Passage was when the people who had been taken into slavery were put in the bowels of the ship, and they were lined up and lay next to each other. And they were smashed in because the owners of the ship wanted to get as many people as they could. I remember thinking how horrific This was, and I think that was the first time I had ever even heard of the Middle Passage. And uh, as the story goes on, and they're still trying to get across the Atlantic, the the ship owners become aware of the fact that they've got too much weight, and they don't have enough food, and so they literally chain up some of the people who had been taken into slavery and toss them overboard. It is horrific. And yet, there's account after account of this happening. 
the good news of this story is that uh, there were some people in New England uh, that are our forerunners uh, who were called the Congregationalists, who raised money to defend the slaves who had been enslaved on the Amistad. And the end of the story is that they actually finally were freed. And the central figure returned to Sierra Leone but was never able to find his family. Last spring, before we were sent into quarantine, uh, under the leadership of our student pastor, uh, our supervised student from Wright Divinity School, Monica Bradley, a group of us gathered to learn about uh, a book and to read a book called Dear White Christians. There was probably about 10 or 11 of us, a few of Alan Pope, who's one of our pastors, and Baker, who's one of our pastors, myself, and some people from Greenland Hills and others, and we gathered and we read and studied and talked about this book. And I have to tell you, it's the first time I had heard a term called chattel slavery. I didn't know anything about it. Well, I'm going to make myself perfectly clear here. The truth is, slavery today, and for a while now, has been and is illegal. Moreover, it's immoral. And yet, in 2019, approximately 40 million people, of whom 26% were children, were enslaved throughout the world. Moreover, the effects of slavery in our own nation continue to be felt in the lives of black people and other indigenous people and people of color still to this day. There's a big debate raging about um, critical race theory, which basically teaches about the history of slavery and, and how it still is impacting black families today and indigenous families and Latinx families and all people of color. So, so why should we even, why should this passage that we just heard even be read in worship? Why should we even make it a part of a, a sermon? I'm going to try to answer that today, and if you decide after I'm finished that it shouldn't be read, you just tell me. Uh, but I think there's some things that are worth wrestling with. According to the second letter of Timothy, a portion of which we talked about in the very first sermon of this series, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, all scripture is inspired by God. And a lot of people have hung their hat on that, that all scripture is inspired by God. And so they can take any little bit of scripture and make it mean for them what they want it to mean. And on both sides of the aisle, the liberal Christians and the conservative evangelical Christians, we all do it. People often ask me why we, if we take the Bible literally or not. Um, is it fact or is it metaphor? It's both and. And we need to be able to live with that dissonance. That some of it's metaphor and some of it may be fact uh, and and it is both and. and. And yet, I want to tell you that even some of the youngest children in our community, some of the youngest children are able to discern 
the difference between what is fact and what is metaphor. Um, so Reverend Dr. James C. Howell, who was pastor of Myers Park United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, writing about this very passage in Timothy and about scripture being inspired, said, when my girls were about five and seven, I would read to them and I would put them to bed at night. We were in the thick of C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When I got to the part about the good lion, Aslan, who is dying and who dies, they were fighting back tears. Aslan, whom they had grown to love, had died. The next day, their great-grandmother, Stevens, whom they adored, died. And I went to tell them, and we had tears once again. But they fully understood the difference between the two. One was just a story born of somebody's wonderful imagination in a book they cherished and from which they learned really important things about life. But the other was a real person, and they knew the difference. You see, the, the Bible is very human, and it's very messy, and it's also big, and it's also long, and it can be intimidating to try to sit down and read. I don't think I've ever sat down and actually read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation all the way through. Now, my mother did, but I, didn't, I got to Leviticus, and I had to stop. Uh, so it's, it's intimidating. But it is understandable. We have to be willing to read it and wrestle with it in order to learn and grow in faith. And in our relationship with God, because the scriptures, both the First Testament and the New Testament, tell us who God is. And we need to look at the overarching picture of God rather than plucking certain scriptures out and deciding that's who God is. But before we actually delve into this letter of Timothy, Let's have a brief history lesson, shall we? Again, let me remind you that slavery in any of its forms is illegal and immoral. But historically, when people were enslaved, it was often because they were indebted or broke the law or suffered a military defeat. That historically was how people became slaves. The duration of their enslavement was determined by the offense that they had had participated in, and often was for a fixed period of time, after which freedom would be granted. Individuals then usually became slaves involuntarily due to force or coercion, although there was also voluntary slavery to pay a debt or obtain money for some purpose, right? However, and, well, I shouldn't say however, and in biblical times, in the times of Jesus, and also the times in which Paul is writing to Timothy, it was possible, particularly for household slaves, to be given full responsibility for the financial operations of the household, to go and do the, the owner's bidding in certain circumstances. And it was also common for household slaves to be able to save money and eventually buy their way out of their slavery. This is very different. This is a very different circumstance than the slavery 
that has occurred uh, after this period that includes the slavery in the United States. So this wasn't necessarily true in the biblical times of, of labor, uh, of slaves who were laborers working in fields or, you know, uh, taking care of the horses or doing those. But household slaves had a relatively amount of independence. Now, in the course of human history, slavery was a typical feature of civilization and legal in many societies. And then we get to this thing called chattel slavery, which means that the person is literally bought as an animal would be bought. And, and as an animal can be separated from their family and their children. And those children can be sold into slavery. The Spanish conquest of the indigenous peoples in the Americas included using native peoples as forced labor. Many whites who arrived in North America during the 17th and 18th centuries came under contract as indentured servants. Now here's really interesting. There was a transformation from this indentured servanthood into slavery, and it was a gradual process. In 1640, where a Negro John Punch was sentenced to lifetime slavery, forcing him to serve his master, Hugh Gwynn, for the remainder of his life because he attempted to run away. This was significant because it established the disparity between the sentence as a black man and that of two white indentured servants who escaped with him, one described as Dutch and one described as, as, as a Scotchman. This is huge. It is the first documented case of a black man sentenced to lifetime servitude and is considered one of the first legal cases to make a racial distinction between black and white indentured servants. And after 1640 and this case, planters started to ignore the expiration of indentured contracts and keep their servants as slaves for life. So what does all this have to do with Timothy? And what does all this have to do with us? That's the big question, right? At the time that the Apostle Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy, half the population of the Roman Empire, about 60 million people were slaves. Many of them had been taken as prisoners of war. Some were taken out of their own countries. Some were held captive within their own countries. And slavery then became an immediate problem for the early church. So if the early church is evangelizing all people, which they did, they're evangelizing both the owners of slavery, owners of slaves, and the slaves themselves. And this is where Paul is writing to Timothy. And, and Paul is trying his best to deal with household rules and getting Timothy to understand them so he can lead the church in Ephesus. So the question is, what does the Lord say to slaves? That's the question that arises in the early church. And what is the Lord saying to us in these relationships uh, how, to, how we are to understand this and how the descendancies of these uh, rules have impacted all people. What are we to say about these things? Okay, now I've got to wrap this up. 
So, here's what you need to know. Many people are troubled by the fact that the New Testament does, or the scriptures do not condemn slavery. That's true. And even in this passage, it appears that Paul is in favor of it. Well, you need to read the whole thing because Paul is making an argument for how we are to be Christian, whether we're slave, whether we're free, whether we're wherever we are in the journey. But the truth is, um, while Scripture does not denounce slavery, it doesn't approve of it either. There's nothing in Scripture that says that this is a good thing. And largely, it is the impact of the Christian church and the teaching and influences of the Christians throughout the empire is how the church changed the world. Because by the second century, slavery had almost been abolished. And it was through these teachings that we had. Paul contradicts himself in many places, but one of the best is for this passage is in Galatians 3.28 where he says, uh, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. That, that we are all children of God. And God, after all, revealed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and through the ever-present Holy Spirit um, that God is committed to human freedom. And God, throughout our Holy Scriptures, teaches us that this is not of God's will. This is not how God would have the kingdom of God be, on earth or in heaven. Now, it's all also important for us to remember that some of what Paul is saying about uh, honoring each other, about showing a proper attitude in the face of persecution or injustice, about loving your enemies and blessing those who persecute you, do not come from the Apostle Paul, but come from Jesus Christ, who tells us that this is how we are to live, loving our enemies. Well, let me just tell you the truth about this. We're all enslaved by something. This is called the yoke of slavery. This is the power, um, and it is the power of Christianity to free us from our own self-imposed slavery. So all of us are slaves to one thing or another. We are bound by bad habits, or um, we are falling uh, prey to the habits of our emotions, or even self-hate. And we are enslaved, enslaved sometimes to our attitudes of resentment and bitterness. But the good news is that God frees us from this. As we live into our role as children of God, we are free. We are made free. And that, I think, is the beauty of difficult scriptures, is we have to wrestle with this. I don't know if you know, but when Thomas Jefferson, who was himself a slave owner throughout much of his life, wrote the Declaration of Independence, he wrote words that were then taken out of it because of a compromise between the northern colonies and the southern colonies. This is what he wrote. He was condemning King George III, the Christian king of Great Britain, and this is what he says. He has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the person of a distant people who never offended him. Determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold, and he has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or restrain this exorable commerce. What if it hadn't been deleted? 
What if African people had been welcomed into communities? What if we had seen their potential as children of God? What if today we saw our own potential to change the injustices that still exist? So yes, there is truth in this passage. But we have to dig hard for it. But let me tell you something. This is God's story. And it's a beautiful story. And it offers us freedom at every turn from a God who adores us more than we can speak of. It's a beautiful tune, this Bible we have. And we have a lot of tunes swirling in our heads. The Bible is still a lovely thing. Um, and we're a motley mess. We're broken. We're vulnerable. We're as vulnerable as Jesus who in his humanity was nailed to the cross. And yet, even in that, we get a glimpse of a God who adores us. Thanks be to God. Amen.